the show, Purposeful Rep Podcast, brought to you by Monomyth Coffee. Hate is out today, so we got Carson filling in, and he just informed me that he has a question to start yeah. <laughs> the episode with, so he's a pro already. Okay, yeah. So I listened to a podcast called Chasing Edges by okay. Brian Peters. I think I sent it to y'all in the group, but I don't okay. know if y'all listened to it or not. But, so his whole, his whole shtick, I guess, is being an infant as a... He's in his 30s. He played the NFL for like nine years. But he wants to be an infant again, and that just means taking as much information as he can at all times, stuff like that. And so he starts off his podcast, so we're just going to rip it right from him. So how are you chasing edges? And so how are you you learning? What areas of your life are you getting better at? Well, that's really good. So so that term, chasing edges, uh, has some history with me. That's really cool. So not chasing edges, but I have a mentor and a friend named Logan Gelprick. Mm-hmm. He's out in Venice, California. Uh, really cool story. It, so when I first heard that kind of term and mentality, it was from him at a leadership thing I went to that he hosts uh, called Hold the Standard Summit. Oh, I've seen that book over there. Yeah, so the whole yeah, it's right up there on my shelf. So that's the notebook from that weekend. So I've been to two of them. The first one I went to was in Madison, Wisconsin, um, and he talks about seeking your edges, mm-hmm. right? So like, so it's that same concept of like, okay, how are you kind of testing the boundaries of where you're at? Is what I take it from. He would explain right. it probably differently and way better. Um, so yeah, it's a really good question. I think so for me right now, where I am. Like what I'm in the middle of is what's on the board right now. Mm-hmm. So if y'all can see the board, we don't have video this week because uh, T's out, Trent. Um, but I'm working through these concepts of growth models. So I started talking to a college athlete who is uh, sitting out a year. He's a D1 kid getting ready to transfer. He's in the portal. <clears throat> and we started talking about how growth works. And from talking to him about how growth works, because he's he doesn't have a healthy version of growth. Like in his athletic history, it's like, hey, I'm gonna push until my body stops me or something happens. Mm -hmm. And it's usually like a small injury or a large injury, like he had surgery a year ago, I think about. Um, And so it's like, okay, body stops me, I tank because I can't do anything. Then I hit my bottom and then I gotta climb back up. But his like climb is like so steep and so hard that there's never any rest or deload or any of those concepts. And so when I was talking to him, I was like, man, I think I want to start thinking this through. And then the the model I was taught, even in school, is like linear growth. It's just one-to-one mm-hmm. work. You know, it's like you put in time, put in effort, growth happens right. one, <laughs> one-to-one. It's the add five pounds every week concept yeah. or whatever you want. You know, it's the... And I think that works a little bit. So like right now, I ended up coming up with five different like base models and gave them all names so that I can remember. Now I'm going back and I'm breaking down each one, like mm-hmm. what it is, what the concepts of it, you know, so like right now, linear models on the board, I'm thinking through what that concept is, what it means, when does it work, when does it not work, when does it stop working, how long can it work? Um, how does it phase into the other models? Because I think they all start with this linear type of, you know, you put in a X amount of time, this amount of work, then you get some sort of product, right? Mm-hmm. Some sort of, you produce some sort of results that are usually benefiting you, so good. So I would say right now it's, uh, it's that, and then it's just learning about, more about myself in times of burnout. So mm-hmm. I'm like in a recovery period from burnout. Right, um, and that's been that's probably been the biggest part of me pushing my edges, because like the growth stuff I just like doing. Mm-hmm. So learning about myself during burnout is probably the biggest piece because it's, um, and maybe it's like difficult to learn and make some self realizations of like mm-hmm. okay yeah I'm not I'm not in a spot where I'm helping people or I'm just less productive than I could be because I'm not doing X, Y, and Z. But I would never know if I wasn't doing X, Y, and Z if I wasn't pushing, Right. you know, so nice. that answer? Yeah, yeah, that's good. So um, if, I, if I throw it back at you? Yeah, so mine, we talked about it last week when I was in here, which I don't know how the episodes are going to come out, so, but it was They're making probably going to be all mixed up in order now. Yeah, 
So one of the episodes I talked about uh, making relationships with athletes, kids, whatever. Because mm-hmm. that's something that I struggle with, like just socially in general. Yep. Super introverted. Um, but, yeah, learning to make conversations, learning to um, just find things in common with people. Mm. Which, it, for me, it's, it's a lot easier with baseball guys, just because that's my background. Yeah. Um, and softball girls, but... So it was really difficult last year, which is, it's a little different being an intern because it's not really your circus to, like you're just kind of there to pick up weights and mm. take people through warmups. But you're, you're the physical labor? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which, <laughs> when I interviewed with Cade back in, it was about a year ago, would have been a, it'll be a year in January. Um, but he was like, I don't want this to be a janitorial ship where mm. we just pick up weights and, and mop, which was... I mean, obviously that's part of it because you got to take pride in your space and pick up stuff. But uh, that was one thing he did really good of was throwing us into the fire of coaching new ones. Which and we would lead sessions, especially with baseball, because they were groups of five or four. Okay. Um, but so yeah, pushing edges there of rela- relationships and just finding things in common with kids and athletes. And it's easy now, now that I'm an undergrad and they're undergrads at LCU. So that's what we have a lot of the same classes together, so we can just, you know, shoot the shit about whatever. Um, But in here, it's been a challenge because it's high school kids. And I haven't been in high school in four years. So it's, or three. Especially, so yesterday we had the Cooper volleyball girls come in. Yeah. Before 30. That one's tough. You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that one's tough to make conversation, but if you just get them mm. playing a fun game like they... We, yeah. played, we played Newcomb with med balls as a game at the very oh, end because nice. they had time. Yeah. And so then it's kind of a little more uh, relaxed. And, yeah, yeah. And they kind of have a little conversation. But And then on the other side, I'm doing a cert right now, the Excess Performance Specialist. Yep. And that's really cool. I've had a lot of fun doing that. Uh, I'm in stage two of like seven or eight um but right now it's just a lot of renaming things that i kind of already know yeah. and just kind of putting curriculum to whatever yeah it is. so they redefine the core so it's they call it the pillar mm-hmm. so it's your hips trunk and shoulders and that's where all your power comes from and then the other side is uh the next like unit i guess is movement prep and so that's just redefining the traditional warm-up. And basically it's just making it specific to your session mm-hmm. or sport. So they just kind of, ha- kind of have a general context of performance. So it's for sport coaches or strength conditioning. So, nice. Yeah. That's cool. Um, with the, yeah, with the connection, uh, especially, it, I think it's always... Yeah, I understand the difficulty sometimes of, of connecting and making those connections. I think for me, I've noticed that if I'll start with like easy questions for them, like, hey, what'd you do today? Some of them will like kind of complain about something. Right. And then I'll ask about, well, like, is that not good? And then I'll just ask them about, not ask them why they're complaining, but like, <laughs> yeah. I'll ask them about the complaint that they kind of implied. And for some reason, they'll open up. They'll be like, oh, yeah, this is terrible. And this mm-hmm. is, and then I can kind of maybe help some coaches out and be like, well, they're probably doing it for this and this. Or, yeah, it sounds like a really tough workout. Mm-hmm. Let's change some of your stuff today. Um, but, yeah, I totally understand that. Yeah, that's, that's uh, the connecting side of coaching, I think. There's just so much involved with the personality side. that, right. And then some people you just, like, easily. It's mm-hmm. just, boom connection they're they're there um like i saw who did i see walk in the other day um that you've connected with ah cooper oh yeah yeah what's up (laughs) yeah every time uh he is much more vocal and like boisterous with you when he walks in the gym which is awesome so yeah yeah you're getting it yeah yeah, um so you're doing something really cool in the gym i think that and it's something that's not that hasn't been seen here like some of the movements that are that are happening haven't been present in this gym which is really cool um, because i love people that bring something new to the space so can you kind of walk us through what you've 
created, what it is, um, where it came from, mm-hmm. all that good stuff. Yeah, so it's basically what it is, is it's a, not necessarily a replacement, but just an alternative to Olympic Bliss. So okay. just getting, so it's called Landmine University is the guy that I ripped it from. Um, so Alex Canellis, I think, or Kana, however you say his last name, but he was a strength coach at Iowa, and then and played uh, football there, and then he's been in the high school space for like ten years, and did a lot of this stuff with his football, baseball, and wrestling guys. Okay. And his main theory around it is a spinal engine theory, is that the spine drives all movement instead of the legs, and everything else is on for the ride. And so we use a landmine. So if you don't know what a landmine is, it's just a, an attachment at the base of a power rack or in the corner, and you pick up the other end. And so... Other end of the bar. Yeah, other end of the barbell. Barbell. And basically we're just taking kids through being explosive one side to another and using their core as kind of the main driving force of their power. And so I think it can be really good for baseball, softball, volleyball mainly just these very rotational sports and it can just you know create more power which we're calling it the velo program that's mostly for marketing but this is just a power program mm. just trying to hit bombs and go 90. So, yeah trying to hit the nukes. <laughs> uh, but what about tennis how would tennis do? I think tennis would be huge now the form's a little bit different than baseball softball but right just the fact of like they're never on two legs Hmm. Or using two legs at a time, unless they're, I guess, if they get spiked like right at the net, they got to jump. But, mm-hmm. and we still do regular jumps. Yeah. That's something that has to be part of a program. But, um, yeah, just creating power one leg to another and being able to be smooth with it is kind of what I'm aiming for with this. And you're doing it ahead of the athletes, yes. right? Like, how far are you ahead right now? Where are they at? Week so they're two? week two. Okay, so they just started week two. Yes, and I just started, this would be week seven. Okay. So, five-week blocks, deload week, in between the two five-week blocks. Okay. So I'm in the first week of the second block. And, yeah, so I saw, so I tested my vertical. So I was doing CrossFit before this, and I jumped a 29, no, 28 static jump. Okay. Counting with my arms. So just a rate like you would see at the NFL combine. Yep. Just a jump. So I jumped to 28, and then my approach was a 33. So running approach, jump up on the mat, 33. Okay. So after the five weeks, I jumped to 30, static. Okay. And then it was where my approach went down to 31.5. But hmm. that easily could have just been... Have you ever jumped on those mats? Uh-huh. Yeah, Did it slip? No, well, no, I think it's just the awkwardness of trying to jump on a target. Yeah. Not, it's easy to jump, like, if you're trying to touch the rim or anything, mm-hmm. that's easy. Then you also have to land on the target. Yeah, you have to jump on the target, land on the target. And I think that's probably... Could have skewed why. it a little bit. Yeah. But, and then I also saw a three-pound three pound weight gain. Mm. So that was cool. So nice. I went from 225 to 228 in the five weeks, and then jumped higher. So, which I'm not throwing or hitting or anything, but... Yeah. I feel like I move, but like just walking, I feel better. Running, I feel better. I just think I move better. How are the so you have so age ranges for the athletes that you have in here? What does that look like? So we have eighth graders up to juniors in college. Okay. And then I'm taking those pro guys through it at eleven. So oh, Shannon, nice. okay. Peyton Hunt. Peyton Hudson. Today? Today, yeah. Oh, beautiful, okay. Yeah, so I'm gonna take them through it and see how they like it. Cage tried to introduce it to him, um, but he wanted me to coach him up, right, so. Yeah. Um, so what is a, so after a week, what's their, what do you see that's their response in terms of what are they struggling with in the movements and then what are they, like what, are, what is their feedback that you feel like they're giving you, especially some of those older guys? Like the college guys and girls that are in here, because there's some softball girls in here, right, too? Yes. So they all, the, the college especially like it, just from their programming at their college, mm-hmm. it's just a big difference. Okay. And so they like the movement, they like the challenge, 
some of them like the challenge, some of them get pissed off at themselves for not doing it right. But yeah. the biggest struggle is probably their feet. So everything I wanted to do is on their toes mm. because we're never flat-footed in sport. Maybe in baseball, softball, you're pre-pitch, but that's yeah. it. Yeah. And even then you're not, like you're just doing your creep and then you're ready and you're on yeah. your toes at the end of that anyway. So, um, yeah, that's the feet is the biggest thing for them. And then also finding their landmark. So the landmark is connecting your elbow to your hip and squeezing through your obliques and lat. Okay. So just what you can't put on video, but so like right elbow to right hip, right elbow to right hip, the hip comes up with you. And, uh, so the main transfer would be, so if we're thinking of, of pitching, so if we're like high arm, uh, like we're righty, like we're always tucking our arm when we throw. Mm. So just the basic way of teaching kids is you reach out, pull your arm in, yeah. and that's kind of the, they find their, their landmark in quotations yeah. um, there. So that's, and even hitting, so I showed other guys and girls the uh, a Mike Trout still shot yeah. from his batting practice. And if you watch him, his back, let, like his back hip comes up to his elbow and he's in a slot which mm. is not connected but it's closed that's where all his power comes from is from his hips and his core so if I'm a if I'm a baseball dad explain it to me like I have zero knowledge of okay <laughs> the body <laughs> okay or sport Sol Solomon's in here uh, programming down on the end uh, if you don't know Solomon strong belly Sully is that it on Woo! Instagram yeah uh He's a little strong. Just a little bit. A little. Sort of strong. Um, sort of. He just shook his... Has been. Has been. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, we may may ask for some uh, input in a little bit, if you're down for it. Absolutely. Okay, sweet. Yeah. So, so yeah. I'm a, I'm a baseball dad. I got a freshman boy in high school who wants to increase his velo, and you just threw out the word spinal engine. Theory. Okay. Can you can you help me understand why that would be important for him? Okay. I'm so, testing you. Yeah. So the <laughs> spinal engine theory is in just the basic overall view of it is mm -hmm. that the spine drives movement. And so all that means is the spine works in a rotational way, so it spins, mm -hmm. connecting X's from your shoulder to your hip. So, like so opposite left shoulder to right, right hip. hip. Okay. So if you think about when you're running, when your right hand's forward, or your, your left hand's forward, your right knee is up. Mm -hmm. So there's an X there and an X on the other side, going the opposite way. Yeah. And let me think of how to put this. So in terms of baseball, if we're running to first, we're always connecting opposite X's. Yeah. So, right leg is forward, left arm's up, and then we're switching back and forth. And so if we think about also a throw, so just in my I play third. So from third, the, like if you're throwing, your right leg is out, right arm's back. Mm -hmm. You're connected on your left side. So we have a short side on our left, a long side on our right, mm -hmm. and then you switch mm. in your throw. Nice, okay. Yeah. Does that kind of answer? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I think so. Yeah, because I'm visualizing it. So, like, uh, the fascia runs like that, mm -hmm. right? Like the big X of fascia, uh, like left shoulder, right hip. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I, I get it. I see the concept. What are you, are you thinking down there? I would argue that um, yeah. when you described the question, you said that the spine is, how did you describe it again? The spine is creating uh, movement? Yes. I would argue that the spine is providing stability uh, to transfer force because the spine isn't creating force, right? It's the musculature. It's, sure. it's, your, it's your right hip that's creating that force and then it's being transferred through your spine to your left shoulder, right? The spine, the spine isn't creating any force in and of itself, right? Because it's not muscle, mm -hmm. you know. 
right but i think the theory there is the um the spine is putting your hips and shoulders into a move into a position to create force mm -hmm. and so the traditional is like for movement your legs are using all of the movement and the rest of your body is along for the ride and so the spinal engine theory is saying that the spine drives the movement not necessarily creates the movement mm -hmm. So it puts your hips and shoulders into a position to where you can move correctly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it all boils down to adaptation and um, developing every piece of the puzzle. You know, you could you could develop your hip, your ability for your hips to produce force, but if you have no stability in your spine, that's not going to transfer well to your shoulder. Right. You could have all the stability in the world in your spine, but if your hips aren't strong, you know the ceiling is high, but you're, you're not going to create force. So I think, I think like along those lines, it's simply developing all of the pieces to that puzzle. You know, you gotta have, have all of them going in conjunction with each other. Right, and, and this isn't the only stuff we're doing either. So like, we're still gonna do, like we had, let me see what's on the board. So we had, yeah, we had roof and elevated split squats yesterday. So like super heavy, eight to 10 on each side, just developing a lot of force out of one leg. So we're doing that with conjunction of the landmine stuff. So I, I'm not like a like all these like weird mace guys that do like the weird jousts and stuff. The flows. Yeah, the flows, dude. The flows, bro. And yeah. so I'm not limited to like just the landmine because he has a whole system to where people are just doing the landmine. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there's a lot of Mickey Mouse stuff on there that I'm not a huge fan of, but like the main movements that we can, I guess, replace instead of doing bilateral power cleans or hand cleans or snatches. I think it can help us one move and then make it a little bit more specific to our sport. Cause so the footwork is different on the landmine, like clean, mm -hmm. right? It's more of like a split stance and then like a switch. Yes. Is that how you would describe it? Mm -hmm. Than the traditional like power clean or hand clean. Yeah. So your feet don't move in a, like they, they come off the ground or extend, but they're not switching or moving in a regular power clean. So how's the like foot set up in the in the landmine clean that y'all do? Mm -hmm. What does it look like? So if the landmine's in the right hand, right? How would mm -hmm. you describe that? So landmine, yeah. So the landmine in the right hand, your left leg is forward. You have your elbow connected to your hip on the other side. What'd you call that a while ago? A landmark. Landmark. I wanted to call it an anchor, but I knew that was wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you have landmark. your landmark on the other side. Okay. And then when you explode off the ground, uh -huh. so you're still getting a triple extension. So what that means is your ankles, hips, and knees all get extended at okay. the top of your movement. So we're still getting to there, but then we're bringing the bar to our other landmark, bringing our right leg forward. Okay. Finding landmark over there, left leg goes back. Yeah. So quick switch. So quick switch. And then if we think about foot position at the end of it, it looks pretty similar to sprinting also mm. at the top of it. Did you do any speed testing before this? No, I did not. Just vert testing? Okay. Yeah, just vert. I'd be interested to see if your like, speed went up. Yeah. With all the stuff that you're doing on the front of your foot and with that ankle mm -hmm. loaded and... Mm -hmm. I'd wonder if that increased in strength and stability yeah. over the course of the weeks. That may be something you look into in the yeah. future. I may run a 60 here in a minute. <laughs> get, get loose, it's a little yeah. rainy outside. No, just do it cold. <laughs> hey, that's the, best, that's the best way to pretest. Just do it cold and yeah. let the numbers stay low. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. then your improvement's going to be really good. Exactly. That's yeah. how those Instagram guys do it. Hey, I, I've had people who have, I've received plenty of text or phone calls for people that are like, hey, can you get my son's vertical up like six inches in the next couple of months? Because Jeez. this guy in Dallas said he could do it. And I'm like, that's all you should go to him. Cause I can't, yeah. <laughs> I can't, <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> I don't think so. But yeah, so yeah, the Instagram guys are there. Yeah. Um, when y'all were talking, I was thinking about tennis athletes and you were talking about the foot switches out there, like, cause I've, we have some tennis athletes that come in and the way that they move, like we we're doing some med ball work the other day where it was a rotational throw, but it was banded up. So we had a band 
uh, hooked up to a shoulder and then it crossed her body across her hip. And so they were working on really firing through that hip and getting things moving and rotational. But like for baseball, softball girls, it made sense because that's a natural movement, right? Like back hip is coming forward really hard and violently yeah, and, and fast. First. Right, and first, right? So they're, but with tennis, it's like, they like drop that back hip. So if they're right-handed or if they're hitting a forehand. I think that's right. So is that the correct tennis term? Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah, backhand's the other way. So like if they'll, they'll drop that back hip and then move it forward like it's almost like a like a like a twist right um and so we just had to adapt what we were doing there and so they would set up without the med ball at first and have their hands like they were holding the racket and they would do it drop and then swing through um and it helped them connect mm -hmm. but it's the same it's the same stuff right like the way that your body function i think if you can break down the movement like you were breaking down volleyball uh, movement the other day on video we got to talking in group text about how this might help volleyball athletes mm -hmm. because Carson noticed when they're at the top of their jump and they're about to hit it like that there's a there's a landmark on their opposite side because mm -hmm. if their right arm's extended really high that left arm is tucked down and in because they're trying to generate as much force and velocity on that mm -hmm. ball so it doesn't come back over in the net right um, you want to touch on that a little bit? Like, how did, when did that come up? Did you see that or did you just get curious about would this work for volleyball? Well, I got curious, but I also, when I was so WT just won the national championship. So when they came to LCU, I was watching their girls and our girls, of course, but one, their girls jump really high and create a lot of ground, like force off the ground. Mm -hmm. And when they were at the top, they had, so if they're hitting with their right arm, their right hip was higher than their left hip, and they had that landmark on the other side. And now that changes for each individual player. Right. So some of them were like really tucked, and some of them were just kind of out here, just yep. swinging their arm, which is fine. I mean, I'm not gonna tell them that they're wrong. Right. <laughs> you know, but, um, but yeah. So I just saw that, and then I was thinking, just with the arm movement. Of their hitting arm it's very similar to a baseball throw so we saw a lot of the same like shoulder um not necessarily injuries but shoulder pain okay so usually baseball guys like they'll feel it either in the front of their shoulder or the back of their shoulder mm -hmm. like from throwing especially if they're overhand and it was kind of the same thing with volleyball kind of same okay. spot so i was like well maybe there's some of the same movements here so then i saw that game and then the other day I was just in our weight room at LCU, um, and I was just like, you know, this may be something I can look into. So then I started looking up pictures of just still shots, and yeah. saw this girl from Texas. She's like kind of the, I don't know her name, but she's the kind of unanimous best player in the nation. Mm. Stud. I watched some videos on her. She like, is ridiculous. Yeah. But I saw her at the top, kind of same thing, landmark on one side, long side and short side. And so then started looking at more pictures and then you sent me that cut up video yeah. and it made more sense. So yeah. she was, the one that you sent me was a girl coming up from the middle. Yep. So she jumped off of kind of a split stance yep. and then yanded down for the win. It was insane. <laughs> yeah. But same, same landmarks applied. So she had there, long side, short side. So like, you know, maybe this has to transfer. Purposeful Reps Podcast is brought to you by Monomyth Coffee. Monomyth is a local coffee company here in Lubbock on a mission to welcome people and send them out encouraged. They believe treating people right and making great coffee can cultivate community and shift the culture of business in Lubbock. So if you need a cup of coffee or an encouraging word, be sure to go see our friends at Monomyth. We love Monomyth. Love it. Absolutely. Broadway, down by tech. Oh, yes. Hung out with solely over thanksgiving we got to talking about some stuff um i would love to hear some of your input on like we talked about movement prep a little bit mm -hmm. right mobility range of motion all that stuff mm -hmm. um and i think this would be good and it kind of applies like i'm kind of making some connections in my brain so my questions i'll try and lead you to where my brain is connecting mm -hmm. and maybe you'll make the leap for me 
Uh, can you talk about like movement prep and mobility and how you structure it? So give give like a elevator pitch, like 60 seconds of like what you do and then how you kind of structure that stuff. Yeah, I used to be big on, you know, myofascial release, yep. go through in, in depth uh, movement preps, you know, my, my own personal movement prep would take me like 30, 45 minutes, you know. Um, and as as I've coached over the years, you know, in, in, in my own training, I found that I ended up just wasting a bunch of time. You know, these a lot of a lot of the things that I was employing in my movement prep um, wouldn't create chronic changes um, because I wasn't necessarily developing my strength through large ranges of motion, um, which is what I found has elicited the most amount of chronic change. Um, so n nowadays, I'll pick maybe two or three movements. Um, I'll take myself through a large range of motion, you know, whether that's like a on a squat day, a front foot elevated split squat, um, you know, but really exaggerating that elevation in the front side, um, you know, pitching my knee forward, getting my hip flexor quad through a large range of motion, um, you know, maybe a, a toe elevated uh, RDL, something like that, but really emphasizing um, the large ranges of motion. Um, and so kind of connecting to what Carson's saying, is I think the neat thing about strength and conditioning is you can look at an athlete and, and how they perform, how they move in their sport, and you can adapt whatever you're doing in the weight room to that, you know? And I think that that half of it is like improving the athlete's performance, you know, looking at how they're moving and adapting your training, you know, like you were speaking on tennis um, earlier, you know, modifying that movement to be a little more applicable to their sport. But then the other half of that is similar to what Carson was saying, you know, um, the the, uh, the injuries they were noticing, the dysfunctions they were noticing in the volleyball, you know, baseball athletes. The other half of that, you know, strength conditioning piece is employing movements, uh, you know, that, that will mitigate or, um, you know, quote unquote, rehab um, yeah. those dysfunctions that the sport's creating. Yeah. So like, will you, can you explain chronic change? Sure. I mean, uh, so like what that actually, what does that mean practically? Like in your, in your life, where did you notice it? And what does that even define chronic change? You know, in, in, in terms of myself and yeah. in my own training, um, chronic change looks like uh, pain mitigation, you okay. know, for, for many years. Um, and, and maybe this, you know, being in a specific niche like powerlifting, you know, squatting, benching, deadlifting all the time, gaining a bunch of weight, you know, in the effort to lift large loads, you know, I, I, I didn't, I was very specific in the way that I moved, you know, I only moved in certain planes of motion. Um, and out of that, you know, I, I would have a lot of lumbar pain, you know, hip pain, tightness, shoulders, the whole nine. Um, so in, you know, in terms of that, moving through large ranges of motion, like start, starting off small, um, and, and developing my ability to do a, a Bulgarian split squat and rather than, um, increasing load, you know, initially increasing range of motion, um, so versus, you know, just going through a, a dynamic warm up at the beginning, you know, you could, you could have, I mean, I trained Sheldon this morning and, you know, he walked in feeling tight. Um, took him through a couple mobility drills and all of a sudden he's he's able to actually you know squat to death get his knees out keep mm. his torso upright will that create a chronic change no you know that's gonna take developing his strength over time in those end ranges of motion yeah so that's something that I'm, I'm wondering so like with you talking about uh, the shoulder issues do you think that's something y'all can both chime in on this but do you think that that comes from not training at those end ranges of motion I think that's largely due to like when you start seeing uh, impingement issues and right, just the little nagging issues that you see. So like for volleyball athletes that come in here, <clears throat> we see it, <clears throat> sorry, we see it in the shoulder or lumbar, right? It's one of the two um, baseball guys, shoulder, like it's almost shoulder heavy mm -hmm. um, football guys. It's like a hip thing. Basketball, it's like growing, right? It's like the inside of that leg. It's like never, 
it's never trained. I don't, you know what I mean? Like not with a load, I don't think. Like they do so much lateral movement, but there's not, but they always, there's a lot of guys and girls that come in that have uh, issues there. How does a high school coach know how to train in ranges of motion? <laughs> or what can they do? You know what I mean? Like, cause it's hard. Like if you're talking to guys that have the knowledge, you're like, oh yeah, training in ranges of motion. Yeah, we could do, we could start utilizing this, this, and this. And they're already thinking of things that they know how to do because they have the knowledge to do it. But for like kids or coaches that can't come in here or get that training online, right? Like, what do you think? I think, I think you start uh, thinking about what's hurting, what is the musculature that's bothering me? Okay, so let's say, let's, let's do a practical uh, walkthrough. You want to? So let's say shoulder mm -hmm. is hurting. Mm -hmm. So you can, I'll pretend I'm the kid or person. Sure. So, you know, you, you, you come in uh, and you're saying, hey, my left shoulder's hurting. Yep. Um, uh, is, I think to myself, okay, well, what puts that musculature in a lengthened position, you mm -hmm. know? Um, and so, you know, somebody might jump up and, and put their put their arm in, you know, a 90-90 and, and do a little door stretch. Um, and now all of a sudden we've got that musculature in a lengthened position. Okay, we're stretching that now, but are we making those muscles stronger? Mm. Probably not. So now let's figure out a way to add load, to add resistance and progression. And I think that's the key with almost anything. Uh, there just has to be a progression. So let's take, let's start working on taking this shoulder, you know, to that lengthened position. Let's go, let's, let's hit a dumbbell fly and let's see what our range of motion looks like. And there's probably going to be a certain amount of pain there at the end range of motion. Let's start light and let's start developing that. And then let's also look at the antagonist and let's start developing that scapula to make sure there's stability back yeah. there. And there's probably not, Correct. you know, so it's, it's again, it's like 50, 50, like addressing that which is bothering you and that which you need to perform and then also everything around that like the opposite of that yeah is that something y'all see at the college level like guys coming in from high school or girls coming in from high school that are just beat to hell yeah right oh yeah it was like we had a volleyball girl that came from one of the high schools here um and she which I think you know which high school I'm talking about, but say that they had, she had Possibly. lumbar pain. Okay. And they had a bunch of girls that had, like, what was it, like L4s or something that were broken? Yeah, like stress fracture. Yeah, all in their spine. And yep. so, yeah, she came in like that, and which I didn't get to work with her in the fall when Kay got to work with her. But in the spring, he, he told me that they worked a lot of just like ab work and then getting almost, you know what a Jefferson curl is? Yep. Yeah, so almost like that, just getting to a full range of motion and training there. Yeah. So, and then also, like, I think kind of piggyback on what y'all were saying is even studying the sport and seeing where we're, like, lengthened and where that can cause problems and then adapting that to the weight room. Right, because there's this idea out, I think, right now that I don't know when this started gaining traction, but I started hearing more and more four or five years ago when I was coaching at the high school level was like, well, if you're just flexible, th that'll prevent injury. And that, like, that's not true, right? There's like, we'd have girls that were gymnasts that would still pull a hammy, but they could do the split. So it has nothing to do with your flexibility, right? Right? I mean, would y'all agree with that? There's, that a, there's a big difference between mobility and flexibility. Correct. You know, you can yeah. static stretch all day yeah. and become flexible, but if you don't have control of that, you don't have strength at those end ranges of motion, that's when you're risking the injury. Yeah. And that's the difference between mobility and flexibility. Mm. And, I think, and I think that also, you know, um, at least the last several years, it's become commonplace to, to hammer, you know, certain dysfunctions. And I think that, you know, more is not always more, um, you know, just because something is hurting and, and does have a dysfunction, you know, we can take things through this end range of motion and get stronger, but at a certain point we have to let it recover. You know, we can't just hammer it and just beat it down every single day. We also need to let that rest and recover, and I think that's when we look at, at the opposite things, the antagonist, begin to strengthen that and give the other things a break. Hmm. Yeah, so like, that's what we'll talk to baseball, softball athletes about. Hmm. Is they're so forward heavy, 
like especially stuff at school everything is either overhead if they even do any overhead stuff mm-hmm. or it's a bench mm-hmm. right um but those like scap everything on the back side like their brakes for that arm flying forward never gets or it doesn't get worked in proportion that is actually going to be good brakes right it's like they have the engine of a ferrari moving forward but they have the brakes of a datsun yeah mm-hmm. right if y'all even know what a datsun is <laughs> I you don't know what a datsun is is that a vehicle yeah it's, it's a like dog. a tiny it kind of sounds like a dog <laughs> yeah <laughs> not a dachshund oh yeah there you go a dachshund uh, a dachshund yeah it's like an old google dachshund d-a-t-s-u-n it's like a tiny old little truck yeah so i just i just uh dated myself there yeah yeah that's tough but that's what you were, I mean, you were asking a couple of moments ago, you know, whether these injuries and dysfunctions come from not going to an end range of motion. And I think that's a component, but I think the other component is just volume, you know, it's just overuse. And so if, yeah. if that's the situation and an athlete comes in, yeah, we can take them through and see what their strength is in an end range of motion, but applying more stress to an overly stressed situation might not yield positive results. Yeah, probably not. Probably not. Yeah. <laughs> so how would you balance that? So say, well, let's keep going volleyball here. So they go from a three-hour practice or even a two-day. So they'll go two hours in the morning, two hours at night. And then they're coming at you mm. in the middle of the day. So how, because the coach isn't going to adjust because his circus, they're not going to, or her circus. Um, so how do you balance that in the weight room? If it's already overstressed, how, how do you adapt? there even though you do want to train those integrations of motion how do you play in conjunction with the coach i think i think i'd probably um, you know take those prime movers the things that that will improve their performance work that into the movement prep you know and, and put their their body into those end ranges of motion you know a couple sets two or so sets uh, where we're challenging um, those positions and then the majority of that training being working on the antagonist especially if they're in season i mm-hmm. would say i mean if they're in season you know like an off season applying more volume you know building that base right. and then you know typical and then you know in an in season maybe just a little more intensity, lower, lower volume, um, you know, to keep that strength going, but not really beat them down. Mm-hmm. A lot of the times the volume doesn't shift like the off season volume for some, some programs look the same as in season volume. Yeah. So it's like, it's almost always an off season volume or, or they'll go off season volume to no volume. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like in high schools, it's really common on the girls' side for them to have an off season, mm-hmm. whatever that looks like. And then when they get in season, like the weight room volume is gone. Yeah. It's like, well, we don't have time for that. And so we're just going to cut that out. And so, yeah, when we get on, when we get those like girls in here, it, it looks a little different than what some of the other kids look like. But so we're talking about high school athletes coming in, right? Uh, how do you walk so like let's take so you got baseball guys in here mm-hmm. right you have some high school baseball guys mm-hmm. with the guys that you have coming in that you have a history with right what do you see in terms of the differences between the high school kid and that baseball athlete that has some history of good programming good movement right like what are you seeing in the difference between the two with the stuff that you're doing well, the high school kids are picking it up faster. Interesting. Okay. Very interesting. So, um, with the high school kids, they one of them picked it up, kid from Trinity, really fast. Nice. And he does it really well. And then kid from Cooper, it took him a little bit longer because they're also pretty blocky over there. Um, I don't mean to take a shot at Cooper, but the um, he'll get over it. Um, but <laughs> he was very blocky. Maybe also. Not. Maybe not. <laughs> But yeah, the main difference I would say is... So can you define blocky? What do you mean by blocky? Because I think I know what you're talking about, but when you say blocky in your head, what is it? What does that mean for you? So, so if I'm blocky, what am I doing? That you would be like, yeah, Rustin is blocky. Um, so they're super strong. Okay. Super strong. They're on the heavier side of probably... Not necessarily what's needed for their sport, because you can be... I mean, they for baseball, yeah. yeah. Um, one of them is a, cor- a corner outfielder. 
right field. So okay. he's going to move a lot, throwing from you know right field to third. So he's got to be able to move fast, move quickly. They just don't move like a baseball player should move. Now they're so athletically like talented. Efficiency? Efficiency, like, yes. Okay, so That's they're not moving efficiently. Yes. Okay. Now they're all like, they've all been playing since they were four. So they got the baseball move, but it, yeah. I feel like it could be more efficient. Okay, so that's so blocky is inefficient, possibly less athletic. Yes. Than what they potentially could be. Really strong, a mm-hmm. little heavy. Not fluid, borderline Not clumsy. <laughs> Send them my way. Sign them up for power to me. Some of those dudes would be good. Like they are so strong. Yeah. Like Merritt was in here the other day. He's huge. Looks super strong. Yeah. Which and him coming out of high school, kids told me that they had to work on him getting out of that because mm. he put he was a big football guy and okay, powerlifter, yeah. yeah, in high school. Makes sense. And so he was super inefficient in his movements, and so they had to work for. He's a junior now, so for two years they had to work on him being able to move efficiently, and then now he's not at square one, but he's at about square one point five. Okay. So. Sorry, I cut you off and made you define blocking. I think it derailed you from your point that we were making about the difference in the high school and college guys. Yeah, well, I mean, that's kind of along the same like I mean, that's about right. Okay. The college guys that we have in here now are very blocky. Yeah. They don't, they have a potential for power, but they're not at what I think they could be with how much strength they have. Right. So can we touch on, and maybe that's how we start wrapping it up, can we touch on the idea or the concept of, so I think what you're doing in here is, is incredible for, for the athletes and applying it to sport, right? So like adapting movement that actually will, will apply to what they're doing, right? So their movement is similar to this movement and it's loaded. It may start unloaded in the beginning and then work up, right? Progression. So, uh, you're a power lifter, so I'm talking to Soli now, right? So, I think there is a, can we talk about, and I would love for you to chime in on this, can we, because you have a background in strength and conditioning for sport <laughs> as well, <laughs> you're not just a power lifter, uh, can we kind of hit on some of the ideas that a lot of schools do powerlifting uh, style work, no matter the sport. Does that make sense? Ish. And I say powerlifting, I'm using that loosely. You're probably like, it's not even close to powerlifting. Mm-hmm. But for what they're doing, it, it mostly it mostly resembles a powerlifting style of programming compared to what Carson is doing out here for like the velo program that he's designed what that would do for an athlete. So let's, let's take a football athlete or a soccer athlete, like multi-planar, multi-directional, like they're moving any and every way with outside forces working upon them while they're trying to move. Um, can we talk about the benefits of, at some point, having to apply sport-specific load and movement for their prep? And if you don't, what are the dangers of that? I think that, um, I mean, there, there's obviously still a variety of merits, you know, to being able to put a bar on your back and have the core strength, you know, yep. to, to prevent anti-flexion, you know, and, and being able to drop to, you know, potentially below parallel squat and have the strength in your glutes, to externally rotate at the hips and the whole nine, yep. you know, but um, that's that's like a, that's like a foundational movement yeah. teaching somebody to squat and hip hinge and and all of those things um, and I'm yeah I, I'm a powerlifter because I don't play sports but in, in an application where I'm training athletes I think that um, you know the traditional squat bench deadlift would um, like a, like a competition style would probably have a very low place in a program that I wrote for for athletics um, because it, it simply like as as um, as you were saying earlier um, you know that produces a clunky athlete you know they don't they don't know how to move fluidly um, if we're not developing their uh, unilateral abilities hmm. yeah. 
agree. That's as yeah. simple as simple I did. As it it's so good. So. Yeah. Uh, so, like, what are the what are the dangers of a clunky athlete? So, what are what what is a clunky athlete? in t- danger of doesn't yeah well i mean they're in danger of not performing well okay um that's probably the first point um you know they're, they're not able to move as efficiently as they could um but then they're they risk the injury um aspect of things because um i think that injuries come about when we impose stresses that the athlete isn't adapted to mm. um yeah and so you know, adapting the athlete in the weight room is essential for injury prevention. Hmm. I'm trying not to just keep deep diving here, but uh, you have more to say. Yes, yeah, say, say it, dude. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, like, at at one point, as a coach, so let's say you're a coach and you've had athletes in your system that like every year there are knee injuries. Mm-hmm. Like not just small knee injuries, but like catastrophic knee injuries. Mm-hmm. At one point, do you look at the system and say, okay, we've got to shift something here? Well, you should always be looking at the system, <laughs> yeah, right? You should you should always be evaluating the system. That was a system, better answer than right? <laughs> Yes, no, no, I'm with you. I'm with you, yeah. I And I think, because that's, I think at some point, yeah, you, not at some point. Yes, you should always be evaluating the system. At every point. At every point. Uh, feedback is crucial, right? Um, and sometimes that feedback comes from injury, right? Like there was a year, I think it was my third year coaching track, and we had a bunch of girls, like we had a bunch of track girls that played basketball, right? So that basketball to track shift was really hard on their body especially those first few weeks. And so we had to really like the progress, the progression back into sprinting and meters was tough. But there was one year where it was like uh, calf issues, like across the board almost. And I was like, okay, what are we missing? Mm-hmm. Um, and I couldn't figure it out. And I talked to a friend who was a, who's an athletic trainer and she's like, what are y'all doing? And so we started talking through stuff and she was like, oh, you're missing this. She was like, what are you doing here? And I was like, this? And I was like, what was okay. so part of So part of her recommendation was like, when we were going through some of our like cool down or warm up, we were only hitting like one section of the calf. Mm-hmm. And so she was like, you're missing that Achilles. Mm-hmm. Like she's like, that whole lower half of the leg, you're mm-hmm. missing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, really? And so I started thinking about it and she was like, yeah, look. like." So we started employing some different methods to like, get that Achilles and everything really loaded. Um, one, warmed up really well. And then two, post, like cool down, like we were really focused on not just like a straight leg mm-hmm. kind of stretch, but a bent knee version where it transfers back down, right? And we're talking to athletes about being mindful of where they feel it and making sure they're hitting it and moving into positions because it changes like what may stretch for you or like the position may not always be the same, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that helped a ton, like a couple of weeks of like progressing back and dialing back on some things and then changing what we did pre post uh, programming. Like it was done, fixed. Awesome. It was awesome. Yeah. But every year it was always something like in those first two weeks, it was always like, okay, what, what's going to flare up? And it was always based off of what they were coming out of. Right. So we had a coaching change one year and the coach that was there before their style of play was completely different than this coach's style of play, even practice. And so the transfer in was way harder on their body because they didn't come in with the, with the same prep, mm-hmm. right? Same girls, different prep, different coaches, different previous three months. And so they come in and it's just brutal on them. And so it was like hamstrings were just fried. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, and so it's just, yeah. So I'm in agreement with you that there's gotta be constant evaluation um but i think outside of that evaluation there's got to be some sort of shift right like you have to look at it and if you don't know what to do you got to find somebody who knows what to do right i mean is that like the easy answer um getting a different perspective yeah 100 percent. like we've talked about employing some sandbag work for athletes Mm -hmm. because i think it would be massive Mm -hmm. like it'd be so cool why do you think it'd be massive? 
I, I like the idea of one, just a different movement that's going to cause them to connect better with their body. Cause I think a sandbag does that. I think you have to be really aware of where, where you are in position, but also bracing. I think there's a lot of things that go on with that load because it's not a stable bar on your spine moving up and down. That's really easily controlled and you either have the strength and the ability to endure that or you don't, um, with the bag, like if you've ever worked with bags, especially at conditioning work, like it's, you, you better be in the right position the whole time and really mindful of being in a good position and being solid. And you can speak more to this, but like being solid in a way that you, you can't let your, like for me, when I'm working on the bag, like I can't let my brain just go into autopilot. I can't ever because I have before and it was not pleasant. It was yeah. like, ah, that, that's, that's not supposed to feel like that. Mm-hmm. Um, would you? Yeah, I think there's something to be said for teaching somebody a, a new skill that's totally out of their realm, you know, but still still utilizing their body, uh, you know, to move in specific ways. And I, I, I love strongman, you know, style conditioning because you're right, you know, if, if you're not in a certain position and you pick that sandbag up and you will, you'll know very quickly if you're not in the right position, you know, and your lumbar starting to hurt or what have you. And there's a tremendous amount of core strength that's involved with that. And then, you know, you, you, you do a couple sandbag extensions and then you have the athlete carry it down, you know, the length of the turf, they're gassed, they're trying to breathe. There's nowhere for their diaphragm to move, you know, because that bag's sitting on their chest. Mm. You know, it's, I, I love that kind of conditioning. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm with you. And we've got to do, I've really got to start plugging it in and getting coaches trained for it. So I'm going to train some coaches on some strong man sandbag work. Yeah, buddy. I'll get some stuff ordered and we'll get it in here. Because I, I think I it, be there for that. I think it would be, I think it'd be huge for, for the kids that come in because mm-hmm. they're not going to see or like in a yeah like a high school program both, both. Yeah. yeah yeah especially here because they're not going to get that yeah. anywhere and it's fun you know super fun you, so fun. you, you, you get two lines over you get get a relay going mm-hmm. and i think you feel kind of like strong like like you do it and you're like okay yeah i can, I can. yeah I, the 125 bag just went over my shoulder okay yeah that's pretty. That's it's pretty five, badass. Little liver king. Two <laughs> <laughs> <Five, laughs> <ancestral> pillars. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I think that I think that idea that Sully, you were talking about, like challenging athletes. I saw it in here with a softball girl that I worked with all through junior high and high school, and she's one of the most athletic people I've ever been around. Like just mm-hmm. athletic athlete can pick up stuff. Like her brain and her body was just like discombobulated it was so it was struggling and she was like really struggling with like thinking through stuff and having to adapt and having to really like process through each movement so it wasn't just a hey come in we're gonna hit this and go Mm -hmm. like she was like she had the bar i think it was just a naked bar just a bar she was she was really trying to have to okay i gotta think feet here to here here right so that she was thinking about the movements i think that's good to stimulate brain to body connection um all right let's wrap this up oh i have one question okay and this may this, De- this is going to derail us another 20 minutes i love it yeah so i was thinking about this in the shower the other day so oh good start <laughs> yeah, yeah, good start we're all good ideas <laughs> yeah form. Exactly. um so what are your thoughts on the idea of like strict periodization okay so if we're going like hypertrophy strength power speed so in a linear fashion to like a conjugate training where you're hitting like two or more of those at the same time within a training block. I feel like this is your like, yeah. This so, is your world. So, so what's your question about it? You know, what, what in specific are you, are you feeling like having multiple variables going at once never allows us to kind of get a break and like what, what in specific is your question about it? So, um, like what are the benefits of both mm-hmm. and then what can not necessarily flare up, but what can be the danger to either? Yeah. So I like, I think the benefits of conjugate method is that you can really employ a lot of variation. Mm-hmm. And I think in an athletic setting, there's a big 
plus side to that, you know, teaching athletes to move in different ways um, rather than having a fixed, you know, five week block and we're front squatting the whole time. Well, maybe we're front squatting, you know, this week um, for, for some positional work, you know, and then the next week we're getting high volume uh, safety bar work, you know. Um, so it's, it's constantly challenging them in different um, components. Um, but then I think that the plus side to you know a strict periodization is that you can probably um, elicit increased performance more rapidly because you're developing one variable at a time. You know right. you're you're developing the, the volume consistently throughout this four or five six week block, whereas um, you know with a conjugate method it kind of rotates and that volume doesn't may not increase um, quite as quickly. Right. So do you think, so say that you just get done with like your strength block. Mm -hmm. So would you lose, which I've never gone through a strict periodization personally, mm -hmm. but would you lose any of that strength as you get on further in the program? In, are you turn, talking in terms of like a conjugate? In terms of a strict periodization. So if you're, you just finished your strength and now you're going into like your power speed block, mm -hmm. would you be losing some of that strength for the sacrifice of power or would you want to like do the conjugate and then constantly be working on power and speed and strength um i mean any any time you have you know a drop in volume um you start you're not necessarily you may not pre be progressing that variable as much so if you're not if you're not uh hammering strength with as much volume anymore then yeah you you may not be progressing that but um i mean from an athletic sense you're you're realizing those gains. You know, you just went through a strength block, you're letting the volume drop off, you're going to more of a power speed, you're now realizing everything that you built from that previous block um, because you have to let the fatigue drop um, from all of that volume. So are you losing strength? No, you're realizing it. Now, eventually you're gonna have to start back, you know, and add more volume and, and cycle that over and over again. Gotcha. Sweet. Yeah, that was kind of my question. Was just the benefits and I think there's benefits to both. Hundred percent. Like I think it just kind of depends on your situation. Hundred percent. Because like here, like I don't have, like we have two five week blocks, so I don't really have time to just hit strength, mm -hmm. especially with their upcoming season yep. in February. And so if we, I want to start something in the summer, and I think we would do more, not necessarily a strict, but more strict, mm -hmm. like we're hammering heck, like volume strength at the very beginning mm -hmm. and then kind of tapering more towards yeah and i mean the, the way that i write my programs is you know you come in here we go through a dynamic warm-up we hit some some speed power things you know maybe we're progressing a box jump maybe we're progressing you know a depth jump uh broad jump what have you so, you know getting our med balls involved rotational work yada yada um you know and then you move into you know your strength um, block your strength components to the workout uh, you know more of like a three to five rep range squat you know that might look like a Bulgarian split squat you know what have you uh, and then you, you hit your accessories at the end you know you're in more of the eight to ten rep range more of what you might consider rehab work like we talked about earlier and ranges of motion I mean you have all components in here and you know the majority of these athletes that are coming in you know high school even collegiate athletes so they still have a tremendous amount to gain you know yeah. so and that's that's the beauty of if you ran like a conjugate style program is that these athletes are going to get better as long as you have you know a periodized progression in there they're going to get better right love it yeah. yeah yeah that's awesome well, last thoughts. Now I'm fired up to train. Let's go train. Uh, let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. Yeah, and I'm I'm serious. We'll talk off off air. It sounds oh, okay. really official. Yeah, probably. We'll talk <laughs> off air <laughs> about uh, training our coaches on some sandbag strongman work. Yeah, man. So we'll I'm sit down about. and look at some equipment and what we might need, so we get after it. All about it. Because I think, I think if we could utilize it and transfer it to something that could benefit the athlete, why would we not? Mm -hmm. You know, because a large part of like what we do here is we get athletes who have some sort of strength conditioning at school. <coughs> They're doing something, mm -hmm. right? And then when they come here, the athlete side of it is we're trying to hit some of those areas and movements that they're not getting there. Mm -hmm. So 
however we can prove would be huge for us and for them. So if we can provide value and, and you've got the knowledge to help us provide value, I'm gonna glean as much from it as, as I can. I'm on board. So sweet man. Carson, anything you wanna add? Velo program is rolling. I don't know when this will pop out, but they're in week two right now. So this will probably come out when they're in like week three, maybe yeah. into week three probably. Um, get in contact with us if you want to join in. Yeah, for um, sure. College athletes will be back over the break. There's four or five guys and girls coming in over the break that'll be here and gonna train for a month with Carson on this stuff. Uh, so if you're a collegiate athlete, get in, send us a message. Instagram, Twitter, email, something. Yeah, uh, something special going. Yeah, I, I think it's rolling, man. Um, yeah, and the beauty is, like, I'm excited to see where this kind of evolves after this first run. Because the first run, you'll see some stuff, and you'll be like, oh, okay, we need to add this, pull this, let's move this, tweak this. And then you're just going to start dialing it in. It's going to be it's going to be awesome. So, uh where can they find you on? Do you want people to follow you on Twitter or Instagram? <laughs> yeah, probably go Instagram. Okay. I don't know what my username is. Oh, I mean, no. You wasn't ready. I was not ready. Yeah. Um, it is Carson.Zant. So K A R S O N Z A N T. Nice. That is my name. If you didn't pick that up. So. Sully, Instagram. Strong belly solo if you want to see some goofy goofy things. <laughs> Dude, your videos are legit. The video that I saw of the guys dolled up in seventies. Oh, in gear, the disco gear? So good. Squawn to PR. I mean it doesn't get better than that. Like who who shot that video? You got a guy in Flagstaff that shoots it for you? Oh oh we got a guy. You got a guy. Yeah. <laughs> are we about to get a guy here? Yeah, I think Trent, so. Yeah. Trent's about to start being our social media video photo guru. So yeah yeah it's awesome yeah if you don't have a guy get a guy strong belly solely yeah buddy um you'll see some heavy weight moving a little bit here and there sometimes sometimes most of the time uh the kingdom prep guys were in and you blew some of their minds yeah if you ever want to play here you just bench uh, you know moderate <laughs> moderate around the weight when 20 middle schoolers are in here <laughs> moderate i heard you know something <laughs> yeah, they thought my so my son's in that group. Yeah, and uh, he was saying like this. There's a couple of seniors in that group, and they were like, I guess you weren't out there when they yeah. came in, and they were going through stuff, and, and they thought it was like a joke. Yeah, they thought somebody was messing around and just had four plates on the bar. Yeah, and then you came out and repped out some bench. Yeah, and they were uh, they were kind of fired up. Like they were talking to me last night about it at, before the basketball game yeah yeah so they haven't they haven't seen that type of weight moved around here so. one, one of the kids walked up to me he said if i ever need a spot again to let him know <laughs> thanks buddy <laughs> i like that kid yeah that was a comment they're like he didn't even have a spotter yeah i was like i was like yeah i don't guess he needed one. Didn't need one. yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right appreciate y'all listening thanks see you next time yep. yeah, peace